What do the Alicia Gray and John Quill Jones trades mean for the 2023 WBA draft? Who's the number two prospect in the draft, Jones or Miller? Where does LSU's Angel Reese stack up in the National Player of the Year race? On today's loaded episode of Locked Women's Basketball, we'll navigate those questions and more. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, let us know your thoughts and questions as it pertains to this year's ongoing WBA free agency. Locked Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumbawale for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are Women's Basketball. My name is Hunter Cruz, and I'm the Saturday host covering the WBA draft and college basketball at large. Thanks for making Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Remember, Lockdown's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the quality candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockdownNBA. I'm joined my co-host, Joshua Welch. Joshua is a women's basketball content creator and can be found at ENFP underscore hoops on Twitter. So, Joshua, we'll start off with just the two biggest trades we've seen so far in the WBA offseason. First and foremost, Alicia Gray was traded to Atlanta for the number three pick. This trade hasn't pending. been, yeah, pending trade. I have, to, I have to make that clear. Pending trade as we record this episode on Saturday at one sixteen Eastern time. Uh, but but the pending trade right now is uh, Alicia Gray to Atlanta for the number three pick in a future first. We're unsure what year that is and when that conveys, but twenty twenty two or twenty twenty five is uh, has been like the verbiage so far. So. What do you think that means for the draft? Because Dallas now has a number three pick, or or in this discussion, we'll assume that they have the number three pick. Yeah. What do you think that means for them? I honestly do not have a clue about the wings, but um, they have a potential to bring in uh, a really solid prospect, and we're going to be having that debate in a second on whether it will be Haley Jones or Diamond Miller. But, um, yeah, I don't know where – Either of those players fit into the lineup just with all the questions they have in their backcourt. Clearly, they have enough frontcourt players that they can stop there. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to have Mabry back. Um, obviously, Enrique and then Burton. But um, where Miller and Jones would fit in that lineup and if they would play as big of a role. Like, in, in Atlanta, like, they were going to have a chance to start. Like, I don't see that. In Dallas, like, because I, I think they are going to make some moves to replace Gray with having the cap space. So I don't know. How do yeah, you feel like, about a lottery pick coming to Dallas? Yeah, and like you said, Dallas has so much players in the front court already. And both Diamond Miller, who's probably like a 3-4, same with Haley Jones, both like wing forward combos. And for, I just don't know how Haley Jones would fit into that cog just with her Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, she's not as versatile off the ball she's someone that's more going to carry an offensive usage and transition and I don't really know how that how much that's going to translate to Dallas who has Arike Gumbawale who's like a heavy heavy high usage uh, ball screen guard so it, it's 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 extremely interesting and I, I'm kind of just waiting to see how this offseason shakes out for Dallas because me too they're they're one of the teams that has a lot of players under contract right now which 
not many other teams have. Mm-hmm. So they can they can potentially catch us off guard at number three and go somewhere some some player that's like off the record. So who would come to mind like that would fit that lineup potentially better that they make a, a slight reach for in, in your opinion? So slight reach, I could see them going for maybe Jordan Horston, maybe Jordan okay. Horston, who's more of a wing. Um, they could maybe go. They could maybe consider themselves and go J.C. Sheldon. That's another player I could see them maybe okay. reaching for. Um, both players, I wouldn't say, are great number three overall value. Maybe Horston, you can kind of make a better explanation for it. You know, but, I'm really uh, high on Horston. Yeah, so. yeah, and. I, I'm just – it's – Dallas is a mess right now, and we'll just yeah, see how their offense is. I, I have no clue what they would use it on, yeah. too. Do you have more confidence on what Connecticut would use, like, mid-first round now that they've – like, I don't remember the last time Connecticut had uh, this high of a pick. Like, is there someone that comes to mind that could fit in that offense right away with how the roster is right now? Yeah, so I'll go through the trade real quick. So John Quad Jones and Kayla Thornton, this was a three-team trade, are going to New York. New York, for the big number- time one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, New York, um, John Cole requested a trade in New York, so that kind of lowered her value a little bit because she had one destination mm-hmm. she was going to. So in return, the number six pick, Beck Allen and Ty Harris are heading to Connecticut, and then Dallas received Natasha Howard and the rights to sign Crystal Dangerfield. So we're seeing a new regime in Connecticut with uh, Kurt Miller and his his staff heading to Los Angeles. They made, they made a couple other big trades that we won't touch on here just because it's not as relevant the draft yeah. but John Cole Jones out um they're going to core Bree Jones in their front court and that's kind of one of their main building blocks we still don't know what's going to happen with um Alyssa Thomas I would assume she stays who knows about um Dewana Bonner either uh there's still a lot of wild cards but who do you think would Brianna Jones like yeah that's just really yeah Interesting. Do you see a scenario where the Sun could potentially try to do a rebuild, like with AT only having one season as well? Like, do they try doing a full-on rebuild with a new regime in? Or uh, do you still see them trying to fit pieces in and trying to to be a really competitive team this season? Like, I could see it going either way. I could see them trying to compete this season and seeing where it goes. Um, just considering that Dewana Bonner has one of the worst contracts in the league, um, making a bunch of money and they have that number six pick. So I wouldn't say they would, that, that pick they could probably use as more of like a long-term investment. A couple players that come, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. A couple players kind of mine. Um, like we said, Jordan Horston could be another player for them. Um, Rakia Jackson, if they, if if stuff doesn't go good with the front court players they have, they have someone that's more of a long-term piece as a replacement option. Um, maybe they go guard charisma Osborne because I don't know how, how many players do you think are like long-term pieces for them? Like if we're looking ahead three, four years, who do you think is still on that roster for Connecticut? I think Ty potentially, I, I think she showed uh, some promise in Dallas. I, I want to see a, a bigger, uh, you know, like more material and stuff to be able to judge her and everything. But um, I, I think they have potential, but yeah, beyond that, clouded maybe, but again, like there's not a lot of material on there. I don't so know, yeah, so there that kind of, yeah, that kind of proves my point where if they don't have any players that are like surefire besides maybe Bree Jones that are like mm-hmm. surefire long-term pieces, they might as well just go best player available at number six 
I agree. I don't but think Rakia falls to number six. Like I'm, I'm, I think she's getting closer yeah. and closer to being a, a top five player. So yeah, so if she, they can just go the best player available and mm-hmm. start building a core, because like you said, Connecticut usually doesn't pick this high in the draft, so they should definitely take advantage of it. And uh, I, it's kind of a, a full circle thing because John Paul Jones was the number six pick, and that was probably their last big draft pick. Yes, like when it when it comes, so it's <laughs> kind of going full circle. Good. Yeah, it turned out pretty good for them, but they're back in the same situation. They they look they. Um, sadly, did not get a bunch of like long-term success, like winning a championship. But maybe you this call mirrors- it success. I, I know, like we focus more on the draft, but just curious. Like, do you think what the Sun did, like if they're like just the French playoff team this season, everything just going back in the past? Uh, do you think that it was a, a success, like just in the John Quill Jones time frame? Could you I- consider it like worth it? I mean, how often does a team with an MVP does not win a championship? They did. They didn't win a championship with an MVP, and that's uh, that's why I would say it was not a success. But they were competitive the entire time. So in that instance, um, I wouldn't say that it was a failure, but I wouldn't okay. say it was like an A plus. It was more like a B, uh, C plus kind of, just given the expectations and everything. So after the break. We'll talk about LSU's win over Arkansas on Thursday, including chatter on Angel Reese's National Player of the Year candidacy and a few interesting prospects for the Razorbacks. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that the success in 2023 all depends on the team that you surround yourself with. That's why I have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire quality candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs help you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open job with targeted tools. They go beyond resumes data by using insights from your job post, company, and their 875 million member profile to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. It's why small business owners rank LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality candidates versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs help you find the quality candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnMBA. To post your job for free, terms and conditions apply. And we're back. I'm your host, Under Cruz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joshua Welch. And we are going to go into in a little bit more in-depth on LSU. We haven't talked about them much on this podcast so far for our Saturday podcast, but they won 79-76 to 76 over Arkansas on Thursday. And if we're pulling up the stats sheet right here and kind of what we can look at, Angel Reese, we'll touch on this um, in a minute, but Angel Reese, 30 points, 19 rebounds, twenty of, of 10 of 21 from the field, 17 total free throws. She leads the nation in free throws per game. Um, she also had three assists. And then on Arkansas' side, um, Samara Spencer had 13 points. Aaron Barnum had 20 points. Um, both teams have high-powered offenses. In Arkansas's case, they're more three-point heavy. LSU's case, they're going to want to like pound it inside with their um, forward depth. But they also have a couple like slashing guards as well. So what was your main takeaway from Angel Reese? in this game, and do you think she has a real case to be a National Player of the Year winner this season? 
Great question. She, like, she's just someone, like, she was obviously dominating the stat sheet against, like, the weaker schedule to <laughs> just take it lightly on what LSU faced this season, but they went against the young Oregon State team, like, right before the, the holiday break that had a decent front court, and now they played Arkansas twice, who I think it has one of the most underrated front courts in the SEC, and both times she just had really impactful games. Um, so, yeah, she's definitely a, like put herself in lottery conversation whenever she declares for the draft. As far as National Player of the Year, she's definitely, like, top five for me. But as far as, like, competing with Boston, I would need her to put up these same numbers against Tennessee and South Carolina when they play those teams. She still hasn't faced up uh, against those SEC powerhouses yet. So before I consider her completely in the race, I, I want to see her play at this level against those teams. What about you? Are are you more thinking she she has a resume to be in the conversation? So with with Aaliyah Boston, I don't think she's had as like um at least recently she's kind of turned it on more where she's um mm-hmm kind of putting up the bigger numbers that you'd see from a national player of the year winner. But for most of the uh, non-con plays, she was averaging like 12 points. And that doesn't scream With limited national... minutes. Yeah, she wasn't playing a lot of minutes, and they were blowing out a lot of their opponents. And um, the biggest standout when they had was over Stanford, and she was in foul trouble in that game. Uh, turned, on a late, turned on late as well. But I would say it's so up in the air. I think the main three names you're seeing is like Caitlin Clark, Leah Boston, and then um, – you're seeing with Angel Reese. Yeah. Um, I would say Angel Reese. Ha- I would say Angel Reese has a legitimate shot if LSU continues on this pace, and it could probably come down to whoever wins the SEC, in my opinion. Um, I could see that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just very curious. Like those three teams playing each other, and whoever came up with that SEC schedule is like a a future teller. <laughs> like being able, like scheduling these later in the season. Like those are going to be like great views and it's right before like um we start getting closer to the sec tournament and the s in the ncaa so like that was great scheduling like having these teams face each other later on when there's going to be high stakes so that's going to be a lot of fun to watch and then on arkansas side just talk to me about aaron barnum i know you're um leading the train on her you had her as a first round prospect at one point i don't know if you're still there um, i'm I've moved down a, a little bit. Like it was more the film I saw on the Oregon game. Uh, that was during like the in season, like the pre conference play tournaments. So the potential is still there. I definitely have her as like a mid second round, especially when there's not a lot of prospects at the four position. I don't know. I just think there's so much potential there. Like we, we talked about it um, pre session and everything. Like she can just impose her will on defenders. Sometimes uh, she's shown, Flashes of having a three-point shot. Love her defensively. She's always stacking the stat sheet on that end and making her presence known. So there's just something there. I, I feel like she would be a little more of a project, especially when she struggled with foul trouble at times. But I just see a, a lot of potential for uh, a team that takes her, again, potentially in like the, the mid-second round right now. What about you? So she's shooting 64% at the at the um from two this season. Not the greatest outside shooter. She doesn't really take as many attempts. She's under I would say she's undersized. I kind of mentioned this to you earlier, but mm-hmm. 
what pops to me more is her strength over her like size, like her height. Yeah. I would say I didn't she mention the more, size at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah she, she, yeah, she relies on her strength. I would say, and that com- sometimes comes at a detriment where she will pick up those charges, just trying to impose her will at the rim. And she was defending Angel Reese for some parts of this game, and she gave her some troubles in the offensive rebounds and everything. So, um, I I, I need to see more from her. Um, she's certainly on the radar, I would say, because like after the first, like we've said it, we said, I think we say it every podcast, but after like the first eight, 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 nine, ten players, yeah, it's extremely open. So extremely, yeah. you're not going to hear much complaints from me on like, if you have a certain player at 10 and I had them in the second round, I'm like, there, yeah. there's not a lot of distance separating those players. So yeah, I would agree. Like eight is probably a good number on players. I feel comfortable being in the first round. Yeah. Another player for Arkansas is Samara Spencer. She's only a sophomore, but super crafty guard. Um, she's sort of that might neighbor's point guard where she's going to have the ball a lot in her hands. She takes 12 shots a game, 5.7 attempts from three, like 95th percentile. It's super weird with her free throw efficiency, given, I think, her solid touch and craftiness around the rim. So where are you at on her game? I know she's had a couple of big performances this season. Yeah, I've talked about her a few times on this pod. Like, yeah, her her ceiling is definitely being a potential lottery pick. Just the things she pulls off in games sometimes, it's her athleticism and just her skill level is just off the roof. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious to see what development she makes. Like, as you mentioned, um, throughout uh, us doing these sessions and everything, like, in the WNBA, we get four seasons of these players. So I'm just excited to see where she progresses her game. Like Arkansas is a, a team that has a lot of good young stars as well. Like she's going to be playing on a competitive Razorbacks team. It should be like her whole college career. So, yeah. Um, and we talked a little before too on like, we have like a, a more general idea on like where we see prospects. Barnum would be someone I want to see more material on and, like this weekend's been really great because the next game for Arkansas is South Carolina tomorrow. So that's going to be the next one I'm tuned in and I'm sure we might talk about it next week, but I'm curious if they're going to um, be able to keep that game competitive and if Barnum plays a role in that. So yeah, we'll see. Another interesting player for Arkansas for me is sophomore um, Jersey Waffenbarger. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's extremely fluid, six foot five. And like you said, uh, we'll have a couple more years of sample size with her. Right now, her efficiency is like what not what you would expect from like a six foot five post player, but she's got the tools, she's got the size. If at some point she can put it together, maybe we're talking about like a potential backup big prospect. Um, just I, I like bigs that have that size and like movement yeah. ability. That's a really important combination for me. And if she can kind of develop, she's super raw right now. So she's just someone I would keep my eye on long term, because um, like you said, we have we have we have a couple more years sample size with her, and how it goes, we'll see if someone breaks out late because there's some players that will just jump on the scene as like a senior and definitely not- no and the player I bring up the most like the person that had the biggest jump is Tayana Jackson like there's yep. players that can just show they have a strength in some areas and then they develop their game enough in other areas that they just become. Uh, 
a really interesting prospect. So we'll see. A, another player I'm on the fence on, they did not have a, the greatest game offensively against Arkansas, but Alexis Morris, I keep seeing back and forth on whether she's a, a prospect or not as well um, at the point guard position. So do you think she's a, a draft prospect, like someone a team potentially takes a flyer on for a training camp, like taking them like a, as a third rounder? Or what are your thoughts on her? So I'm pretty sure she's on the older side. Um, I, I, I would say she's not like on my like 20 to 25 names, like radar, mm-hmm. but I think she'd get a training camp spot. That's like in the cards as well um, for a lot of these players. And if you're playing big minutes on a big school, you'll usually get a training camp spot and that's usually Definitely. how it goes. So, so after the break, we'll talk about Duke versus North Carolina. We watched this game live on playback. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to have more of those games coming soon, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that game more in-depthly after the break. All right, so let's get into Duke versus North Carolina. This was – if you enjoy offense, this was probably not the game for you. No, it was not. <laughs> First quarter, Duke was trailing North Carolina 12-5. to Um yeah, game ended up being a 61-56 win for North that Carolina. That was mainly free throws. Yeah, and, yeah, and that last that fourth quarter was like the biggest scoring, and that last couple minutes was free throw heavy, just trying to keep the game going along and fight for a chance. So in, that, in the main prospect, we touched on him here. Celeste Taylor only had two points, 21 minutes in the, in the game, and the main thing that played during this game was just foul trouble. She picked up like early fouls and she didn't play many minutes in the first half. So that it was kind of impressive that North Carolina, I mean, Duke was able to hang on with North Carolina given they were without their best player in that first half. And then we also saw Kennedy, Kennedy Todd Williams on North Carolina side had zero field goals made in the first half. Um, She came on late as well. I know that's one of your, Personal favorite, like long-term prospects in 2024, yeah. 2025. What did you see from her in that um, second half? Yes. So I want to first start with Celeste. Like, yeah, both of us were, it's, it's another prospect that we're wanting to see more on that we'll want to watch more film. We still don't have a, a firm idea on where she lands because it just goes back and forth. And this one, like when she was in, she still wasn't getting a lot of touches. Like de- defensively, I, I could remember a few moments where she made an impact, but um, offensively, it just was not there. It didn't seem like she was a part of their game plan. And yes, she had the early fouls, but um, you mentioned it during the broadcast, like someone that's a veteran like that, they're a WNBA prospect. You trust them that they won't get that third foul. And especially in the second half, like she only ended up playing 21 minutes. And this is a game that obviously that was really close. Like it, it could have made a difference. Um, having the ball more in her control and seeing what she could do. It, it was just really fascinating. Um, yeah. Like it, it just makes it hard as a prospect, like this big of a game, like it's their biggest rival and she's not like the main component of that offense. So man, it, it's, I was on the fringe of her being a first round pick and this honestly moved her to the second round for now for me. I don't know about for you, but yeah, it, it's just hard when there's a game like this and they don't make as big of an impact as you would like them to. And with Celeste's game, I was really hoping we'd see more impact from three. And I believe she only took, yeah, she only took two three pointers in this game. Yeah. 
it, it was rough from the standpoint that I just I thought Duke would give her more of a leash in that first half. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really took her out of her rhythm. I mean, she could have got something going before halftime. That would have been big for momentum in that game. Because it just felt like Duke was just kind of holding on going into halftime instead of, like, trying to really make a push to, like, get ahead in that game. Because um, I think I mentioned this on the broadcast as well when you're watching it. Celeste hasn't fouled out all of the season, and she's one of the more active on-ball defenders. So just to not pick up a bunch of fouls just consi- just – just shows how disciplined she is on defense. So I kind of expected her to have like a larger um, leash. I don't even think she's picked up four fouls before this game either. So, yeah. And then another player that was like one of the bigger names in this game was Deja Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, did, she didn't have the greatest first half either. Um, some of the finishing struggles were out there. She's sub sub 50% from the, at the rim this season, but she was extremely active on defense, uh, forcing turnovers. The anticipation was also good. And she had a couple big shots to end that fourth quarter with um, her mid-range. Yeah, her game. mid-range game. Yeah, that, like that's the yeah. thing that like is her bread and butter right now. Like she'll look for more efficiency, like you said later on. She's great at getting to the line, but I, I love the blown kiss um, when she <laughs> knocked down a, a clutch shot later uh, in that game. Uh, Candy Todd, like you mentioned, struggled in the first half as well, but came together. Like like you said, she's got very interesting range, and there's not like a set spot for her this season like there was last season. Like she's shooting in like multiple areas. Like <laughs> you showed me like her shot chart uh, before the game, and yeah, she's just really intriguing and just one of those players that makes an impact in multiple ways, but it's still – figuring out where they stand as far as next season. But good thing for us, there's a lot of time before that to evaluate and everything. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, Candy Todd Williams? So, yeah, her shot profile was very diverse. She doesn't have, like, a couple main spots. She really will take a shot anywhere on the court. Um, I think she's interesting because a couple of, like, big-time corner threes in that game as well. So she can kind of do a little bit of everything from the standpoint that um, makes her interesting as like a, f- a future like fringe first round prospect. So I think she's interesting. Another player for Duke that we haven't touched on yet was uh, Cheyenne Day Wilson. She a mm-hmm. five foot six sophomore guard from Canada. Uh, she had twenty four points, um, thirteen of which came at the free throw line. So there was a big game for her. For her. What did you see from her in this game? I think she kind of went under the radar heading in. Um, given yeah, last. Uh, yeah, last season, like, she had, like, a, a bigger role, and it was surprising to start the season, her not getting as, as much minutes or being a part of the offense. So it's nice to see Duke focusing more on her and, like, her being a, a part of the game plan. Like, yeah, definitely potential there. I still want to see more, but um, she's had some big games, had obviously, like, kept Duke in it, especially when they went on, like, prolonged cold streaks like she – she was just there to hit clutch shots for them and, and keep this in this. I thought she was a huge part of, of this being a competitive game. It could have gone ugly without her, uglier than the game already was. So, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed, and I, I definitely want to see more from her as well. So do you think Duke and North Carolina are, are like, big contenders in the ACC to win the conference? Like, where do you think they stack up against, like, the rest of the field? The ACC is just wild. I, yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, it's just really competitive. Like, 
Florida State, obviously, with adding Latson, it's just all come together there. Like, they're competitive. Virginia Tech, obviously, with uh, getting a Wusu back, like, that's a, a huge deal for them. Um, Duke, that like, this was their first loss in ACC play. North Carolina started off 0-3, but like, they have big wins now against Notre Dame and uh, the one recently against uh, Duke. So, NC State, too, they, they've gone up and down, but – like they have the star power to make things interesting as well. Louisville is sneaking under the radar and has put together some solid games recently too. It's just jam packed. Is there any team for you that's standing out that could win the conference right now? Or I would probably say the easiest pick if I if I had to pick a single team, it'd probably be yeah. Notre Dame. They have Olivia Miles, who's would you say she's is she the best player in the conference? Where do you think she stacks up against like the best player in the conference? Ooh, that's a good question. As a prospect, is she the best player? It's like I you could say Latson's like the more valuable player to her team. I think it's kind of yeah. like it, it's, I still want to see more because there's times where like the UConn game, for instance, like there was the foul trouble and everything, but the potential's there. I can't wait um to see more. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I would say uh, Olivia Miles is the best player right now, out of, like freshman through senior. I, I, I think she is the the best player. Now, would you agree, or is there someone else that you would think is a better prospect than the ACC right now? I'm curious. Yeah, I would say I would say uh, Olivia Miles is probably the best. Like in terms of like being most valuable contending team in the ACC, I think Florida State's uh, certainly an interesting team with Latson. Um, they're 17 and four. They have the most wins in the conference. But it's still super close because Duke's six and one, North um, North Carolina's four and three in the conference. But they've won four straight, which is more than any other team in the conference. So there's just so many teams that I could see um, getting back into the fold as contenders, like to win the regular season title ultimately. And really quick, just a, a side subject, like it's just been talked about and everything. What's your opinion on being able to talk smack talk? Because I, I feel like Olivia Miles would definitely be on the on that list of players that would like have more emotion if she could show it on the court. I think she's a, a lot of fun and I, I love like her competitiveness. Like that's something that I think is going to go really well uh, in the W and everything like that, just fire to to win and do whatever it takes. Uh, but what, what are your thoughts on players being able to be more themselves and everything than yeah. like, whistles? Yeah. Like the, in the big, Two big games we talked about today. We saw with Angel Reese in the shoe. Um, yes, and her that was her chatter, incredible. <laughs> her chatter, and then also the blow the kiss with um, Deja Kelly. I, I mean, those are the main moments that I think is big for women's basketball. I mean, just seeing that swagger um, can definitely go a long That's way in like social media because I would say most people wouldn't see like oh it's a, a highlight. I think those are the major moments that are going to show like personality. And can really grow brands like when it comes to I agree. When it comes to NIL as well. Just I think that emotion and personality is big um for the growth of the game and then also and the then also of- the WNBA. Like it's it's rough like this in the WNBA too. There is not a lot of leeway there too. And it's it's something that just makes it more fun, like just puts a, a stamp on big moments when players can be more themselves. Like obviously if it goes prolonged or if it's like impacting another player like a a bad negative way like there still needs to be some guidance on it but if it's just general trash talk like you're just in the the moment of the game it should be there like yeah i'm I'm hoping there's different standards held in the the future on what 
players are able to do as far as showing their personalities. There's, there's a lot more unity, I would say, in the WNBA just because a lot of the players have played with each other just because there's only 12 teams, and most players end up playing for three, four, five teams in their career. So that unity is a little bit different than college where you're playing the same teams every year. Like, I guess rosters are changing with um, just the transfer portal and everything, but generally the main players will end up staying around for like prolonged periods of time uh, given the draft rules. Um, having to stay in college. Yeah, that makes sense. So thanks for making Lots of Basketball your first listen today. Now make your second listen Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result, Locked On Game to Game covers every game across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can provide. Follow Game to Game NBA on Locked On NBA, available in the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.